Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. How should we understand what it means to be, not just appear or think oneself to be, but actually be a philosopher? This is something that Epictetus talks about quite a bit throughout the entirety of the discourses, often making a distinction between those who merely study philosophy or think they're up for lecturing on it, and and those who really put it into practice. Because for Epictetus, that's going to be one of the hallmarks. And this is not a new problem, by the way. You can see this being discussed in Plato's Republic, where he talks about all the people who present themselves as philosophers giving philosophy a bad name. So by the time that Epictetus is treating this, it's been an issue for several centuries at least. Now the key question that we want to think about is what is really essential to the role of the philosopher? And when I say the philosopher, I actually mean the Stoic philosopher because Epictetus, although he understands that there are other schools, he thinks that they are mistaken in some respect. The Aristotelians are a little bit lax on some things. The Epicureans, well, they're way off. The Cynics, they're actually on the right track, but it's so difficult to be a Cynic. He's focusing on on what the Stoic philosopher ought to be like. And what this gives us is a really great insight into how he understands his own practice, which he's actually, if you read through the discourses, rather hard on himself at points in saying that he doesn't completely measure up himself. Now, he begins in part with this section by talking about the mistaken viewpoints of the many and of what he doesn't call, but we could call today, the dilettantes, those who are just engaged in reading and talking about philosophy, but not really internalizing it. Not, as he says in another section, digesting it and making it part of their bones and sinews. What can we say about this? They identify the philosopher with the external appearances of the philosopher. Now, in his time, what did that mean? So I'll read you what he actually has to say. How do you know that somebody is a philosopher? Because he wears a rough cloak and long hair. Now, at other points, people thought philosophers, well, you know somebody's a philosopher because they have a beard. Nowadays, we might say other things like, well, they have a position in a philosophy department, so they must be a philosopher. Uh, Who knows? We have all sorts of things that we could talk about. Philosophers these days are a little bit more diverse in their appearance, but there are certain things that we might be able to identify with, particularly if we're zeroing in on certain approaches in philosophy. They tend to acquire a certain kind of style. One of my teachers, when I was in graduate school, who was, you might say, two generations removed from Wittgenstein, she was a Wittgenstein scholar, she told us about these people who had studied with Wittgenstein, who had begun to, after they become professors, and they were teaching, to imitate his mannerisms. And so they would do, you know, kind of disconcerting things, like when asked a question, go over in the corner and just put their head against the wall, because that was the sort of thing that he had done. Now, Epictetus, you know, whatever sort of thing we're we're talking about in this, Epictetus would say that has zero to do with philosophy. You can do philosophy just as well in a t-shirt as you can in a jacket or a tie or a costume. It's philosophy. So 
It's not so dependent on external appearances. And then there's a dynamic that takes place. He says that what they do is they identify philosophers with those who wear the right things, and then they see the philosophers, and you notice I put it here in quotes, behaving badly, not measuring up to what it is that they're talking about, and then they draw the wrong conclusions. Now, why do they draw the wrong conclusions about that? Because they're beginning from the, the erroneous starting point of thinking that philosophers identified by appearance. There's a sort of self-fulfilling cycle to this because they become confused about and then they don't respect the profession of philosopher, but they're also coming to the wrong conclusions in part because of that very fact, that they are confused about what it means to be a philosopher and they don't respect it. So let's see what he actually has to say about this. He says, Judgments about skills or actions or roles are not really determined by externals. This man is a carpenter. Why? Well, he uses a carpenter's tool. What then has that to do with the case? This man is a musician, for he sings. What does that have to do with the case? This man is a philosopher. Why? Because he wears a rough cloak and long hair. What about other people? What do hedge priests wear? Same thing. This is why when a man sees some one of them misbehaving, he immediately says, ah, see what the philosopher is doing. And in a certain respect, they're not to be blamed for that because how else are they going to judge? You know, the same thing happens, by the way, when people are complaining about academic philosophers and what goes on in a, in a philosophy class. I have so many people who I run into and I talk to and they say, oh, what's, what's your job? And I say, well, I teach philosophy or I say other things having to do with philosophy. And they say, I took a philosophy class. It was terrible. And that's because their professor gave them, what Epictetus would say, a very bad impression of what it meant to be a philosopher. And the, the, why, why wouldn't they just judge on that basis? So he goes on and he says, If the prime conception and profession of the philosopher is to wear a rough cloak and long hair, the statement of these people would be correct. But if it is rather this, to be free from error, why do they not take away from him the designation of philosopher? Because he does not fulfill the profession of one. This is really key. It's not enough to be a particular profession just to call yourself that or to have other people call you that or to wear the garb of that. In order to really have that role and to fulfill it right, you have to have certain qualities, you might say, which then are displayed in action. So the philosopher, in quotes, who's not behaving like a philosopher, really isn't a philosopher, according to Epictetus. What should a philosopher be concerned with? Well, Epictetus says being a philosopher is a matter of the function that the person does. And he gives us a lot of characterizations throughout the works. I'm going to read you a few of them in here, but let's, let's actually focus on what he's got here. He says, the subject matter of the philosophy is reason using reason properly, perfecting our rational faculty, also working on the faculty of choice, the pro-racist, that which is really at the core of the human person, uh, the good and the bad. Other people may be mistaken about the good and the bad, but the philosopher's job is to actually get these matters right, to study them, to learn from putting this into action, and then if possible, if needed, then to teach people, but first and foremost, to get these matters right in his or her own life. So he goes on and he says, when somebody sees a fellow hewing clumsily with an axe, he doesn't say, oh, what's the use of carpentry? Instead, he says, this fellow is no carpenter, for he hews clumsily with the axe. Similarly, when a man hears somebody singing badly, he doesn't say, oh, those musicians, they're terrible. Rather, they say, this person isn't a musician. 
But it's only in the case of philosophy that men behave like this. When they see somebody acting contrary to the profession of the philosopher, they do not take away from him the designation of philosopher, but assuming that he is a philosopher, taking from what goes on that he is misbehaving, they conclude that there's no good in being a philosopher. Philosophy doesn't accomplish anything. It's just a, a pointless exercise. Maybe something that you know allows people to have a certain prestige, although in many cases it doesn't get you very much. And he says, well, what, what's the reason for this? And here we get back to the issue of function. We respect the prime conception of the carpenter and the musician and all the other artisans and artists, while we do not respect that of the philosopher. But as if it were confused and inarticulate in our minds, we judge of it only from externals. If we don't have a clear conception of what it means to actually be a philosopher, it's understandable that we are going to go by externals. Does somebody possess a philosophy degree from an accredited university? I guess they're a philosopher then. I can tell you that there are many people who have uh, degrees from prestigious institutions and are currently teaching who are not by any means anything close to what Epictetus is, is calling a philosopher. They may not even meet minimal standards in, in other ways as well. But it's understandable that the general public would be taken in by that, isn't it? And it's, it's understandable that somebody who really doesn't understand what the profession is about but wants to jump into that would likewise be confused. Epictetus is not saying, oh, terrible thing. He's saying, let's actually get this matter right. So he goes on and he says, what is the subject matter for the philosopher? It's not a rough cloak. It's reason. What is the end for the philosopher? It's not to wear a rough cloak, but rather to keep the reason right. What is the nature of his principles? They don't have to do with the question of how to grow a long beard or a thick head of hair, do they? No. Rather, as Zeno says, to understand the elements of reason, what the nature of each one is, and how they are fitted one to another, and all the consequences of these facts. So that's just one characterization of what the function of the philosopher actually is. Another way that he talks about it in other places is that the philosopher is concerned with a particular art, but it's a more general art or, or discipline, the art of being human, the art of fulfilling our duties as a human being, of comporting ourselves right in accordance with human nature as such, or another way of looking at this, the art of living, not just living though, living well, living freely living tranquilly, living in such a way that we can actually attain what it is that we desire and not fall into what it is that we are averse to. That is what philosophy is fundamentally focused on, according to Epictetus. So the philosopher, the test for whether somebody really is a philosopher, is to look at the kind of life that they're leading and see whether it actually matches up to the principles that he or she is articulating and claiming are central. Another thing that he, he says that's very interesting, this is in uh, book three, is that we shouldn't be, as he says, like children who are playing at things. We have to make a commitment. We have to make a decision. So he says, this is where he's talking about people wanting to like, get into philosophy, as, as we say. Think about what you're getting into. People have heard a philosopher and heard someone speaking like Euphrates, and then Epictetus says, but who can talk like him, right? He's praising him. They wish to be philosophers themselves. First, consider what the business is, and then your own natural ability, what you can bear. If you want to be a wrestler, take a look at your body. Do you have the body for it? One man has a natural talent for one thing, another for another. And he says, do you suppose that you can do the things that you do now and 
also be a philosopher? Do you suppose you can eat in the same fashion, drink in the same fashion, give way to anger and irritation just as you do now? You must keep vigils, work hard, overcome certain desires, abandon them, be despised by a paltry slave, be laughed to scorn by those who meet you. Look at these drawbacks. Decide whether this is really for you. Nowadays, we might say, do you want to go and study philosophy in a professional manner? Well, uh, think about whether you want to take on student debt. Think about how you want to be situated in relation to uh, the rest of the economy and the people who are going to look at things in economic terms. We could go on and on from this. And then he says, if you're ready for that, then go ahead and do it. Otherwise, don't approach. Don't act like a child. Now a philosopher, later on a tax gatherer, then a rhetorician, then a procurator of Caesar. These things don't go together. It's just like any other profession. If you want to be a great musician, there's some things you can't do. I mean, here's one prime example, and I'm not a great musician. I'm actually just a mediocre musician, but I'm a musician who plays stringed instruments. And I can't play both of them at the same time unless I decide I'm going to change what I do. I used to play bass guitar. And you wear down your, your fingernails by doing that. Of course, I could use a pick, but I didn't want to use a pick. And currently, I play banjo. If you're playing banjo and you want to use your fingers, you actually need fingernails. can't play bass and banjo at the same time because either you're going to have fingernails and you're going to use them for the banjo, or you're going to play bass and it's going to tear your fingernails up because of those strings. Sometimes actually, you know, wear the skin down on your fingers. Uh, I used to play that much. It's like that with other things, too. If you want to be a musician, you need to put in hours and hours of practice if you want to be good, if you want to make a living at it, if you want to have the facility to do what it is that you desire and to avoid what it is that you're averse to, like sounding terrible or missing your cues or things like that. Similarly with philosophy, if you actually want to do well in philosophy, you have to choose certain things and leave other things out. There's a kind of requirement. Now, philosophy will provide guidance for that, and some of that gets clearer as you go on with it. But all of that gets uh, overlooked by those who, you know, misidentify philosophy in its essence with externals. Epictetus also says, and this is where I'm going to sort of wrap this up, that we shouldn't get upset about the fact that people do, in fact, misidentify philosophy and philosophers with, you know, the external appearance of it. That is to be expected. And we don't have control over that. It would be a little bit weird if we were grasping what it is to be a philosopher and then not behaving like a philosopher in the face of people getting mixed up about what philosophy is. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.